And the gap is between the world that we know is possible and the world that is. So is it possible to build humane, life-affirming, life-nourishing organizations and businesses? Yes, it's possible. Is it probable? Mm, I don't know about that. But we are called to live in the space between those two places. Because if I want, give in to the corrosive cynicism of presuming it's not possible, then I'm part of the problem. And I must stand like a warrior in the space in between. And until I encountered the Dharma, I did not know that there was a path to do that. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt. Greed is good. Greed is right. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. This line is from the infamous Gordon Gecko in the Oliver Stone movie, Wall Street. It's one that I had memorized as a kid. And looking back, I can see actually how dark that movie was and how it really made the case against the violent winner-take-all nature of Wall Street. But as a young boy, I didn't see that. I saw the glory. I saw the rapid rise to success, the wealth and the fame as the prize, and didn't see the damage it did. But it also really called me to question and doubt myself. Here I was, a nice boy, one who tended to default into trusting people, to want to be fair, to give, to be supportive. It's nothing like Gordon Gecko, who was willing to take from others at any cost, really willing to kill, to not be killed. So if I was not like him, how could I ever be successful? Would I have to become someone that I was not in order to not be trampled over or walked over, broken or broke? If I wanted to create in this world, would it mean I'd have to take? Years later, I was fortunate to meet a man who really broke this mold of success for me. A man who looked nothing like Gordon Gecko. He's a man who trusted in, believed in the goodness of others, and was still successful. I remember having conversations with this man as an investor in a company I was starting. And he looked me in the eye and he said, just send me the papers. I'll sign them. I want this deal to go through like a hot knife through butter. There was a man who openly invited me to join him in starting another company after a previous collaboration had failed and lost his investment. There was a man who showed me openness, trust, and vulnerability are not a sign of weakness, but one of tremendous strength. And they don't limit your ability to succeed. In fact, they accelerate it in the long term. And that man, of course, is Jerry. This path is not easy. In fact, it can really suck. People will step on you. They'll take from you. They'll walk over you. They'll push you down. My trust has been violated again recently. And I do feel angry and hurt and sad. There are definitely parts of me that want to lock things down, put up the big walls, perhaps even preemptively take from others so they can't take from me, but I won't. At my core, I don't believe you have to take to create. I don't believe you have to trample over, walk over, or break others to build in this world. I don't believe the only way to get big is to stand on others. I refuse to give in to the fear and cynicism that any violation creates. I will not let my happiness, my well-being, my fortitude, my life be compromised 
by the shadow or insecurity of others. Fuck that shit. This episode feels very well-timed for me, and I think you'll see why when you listen, and I'm really excited to share it with you. It's a little different than our typical format, and that it's actually a Reboot facilitator, a former client, and a former podcast guest, Tariq Corolla, who's interviewing Jerry for his own podcast with The Interdependent Project, which is a great podcast I'd recommend you check out. And in this conversation, Tariq and Jerry explore if it really is possible to create a business on a foundation of goodness, love, and wholeness, one that frankly Gordon Gecko would not support. Is it possible to create humane, life-sustaining businesses that give more than they can take? Enjoy this conversation. Reboot Portfolio Circles are an effective and unique way for VC firms to provide ongoing support and professional development for the CEOs and the leaders inside their portfolio companies. With our Portfolio Circles, the Reboot team partners with you to identify the CEOs or the leaders you'd like to support, and we take care of the rest. Each group is led by a skilled Reboot coach and includes six to eight leaders from companies inside your portfolio in similar roles and stages in their journeys. We bring them all together to support each other in their personal and professional and leader development. Now hear from Evan, who is a participant in one of our portfolio circles. My name is Evan Liang. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Lean Data. Most of the other CEO groups I've been in are very business-focused, issues-focused. We're trying to solve problems together. And the Reboot Circle is very different in the sense that we talk about the issues, but more around kind of supporting each other. And it's not around problem-solving but more around the CEO's support from an emotional perspective. I think all of us need some sort of support group. You need friends and family. You can't do it all on yourself. There is a lot of stresses that come with the job. And having an avenue to uh, feel like you're not alone and get that emotional need that you might not be able to get from your team because you don't want to seem vulnerable as a CEO. So those would be the reasons I would say to check it out and to go in with an open mind and, and see for yourself if it's something that helps you. Overall, it's been a great experience. To learn more about Reboot Portfolio Circles, email us at portfoliocircles at reboot.io. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Tariq. I was saying before we were officially recording that our relationship, in my mind, began with you raising your hand at the Northside Festival and communicating that your heart was hurting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we tumbled very quickly into a deeper relationship, and I have been the better man for it as a consequence of that. Thank you. Uh, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Just an attempt to get you to cry. Yeah. Uh, for, for those of you listening, that's Jerry's superpower, and he's done it to me multiple times. He's made me cry publicly <laughs> and on the internet. I'll put a link, I'll put a link to that <laughs> podcast. Um, so, so thank you for fully humiliating me in public. That, but no, Making me vulnerable. Getting uh, me vulnerable. Being real. Mm. Being real, but go ahead. I'm. I'm oh, I'm, that's I'm interesting, man. Oh, that's good. I, we should just go with that. You think? So, what is that? Yeah, what is that? What was I talking about when I said being real? When you said being, being real, real, and what does crying have to do with being real? Um. So the reputation is right. If you Google my name, you might come across an article that says this man makes founders cry. And that's a kind of a joke. You know, you say it's my superpower. And my real response is what I ask people to do 
and I only ask this by trying to do it myself, is to just be fucking real. Like just show up to your life as it is in this moment right now. No persona, no bullshit, no, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, look at me. Oh, I'm a VC, look at me, you know. Um, now that strikes people as vulnerable. Sure, I guess it is. If vulnerability is defined as able to be hurt, I suppose being real is a form of being able to be hurt. But I challenge anybody who spends their days wrapped behind personas to tell me the days in which they have not been hurt anyway. So we walk around with a mask on. We walk around kind of pretending that it's all okay. And inside, we're hurting like a motherfucker. We're hurting painfully. But we don't show it. Because we're afraid of being hurt. Maybe this isn't right for other people, but I'll be damned if I want to live my life like that anymore. Because I have lived my life that way. And it nearly made me die. It nearly made me kill myself. And I'm not going to do that. And the risk is I will be hurt. What's the second noble truth? Well, the cause of suffering, I suppose. Is? Desire, craving for something. The wish to not be hurt. The wish to not suffer. Yeah. And the wish, the actions we take to not suffer, create more suffering for me and the entire world. Avoidance of suffering does not eliminate suffering. So what happened after you opened up? Did it help? What does help mean? Well, you're still here, so you didn't kill yourself. Thank God. That's an important point. Did I stop hurting? Of course not. I hurt every day. What I have learned is that I have the capacity to withstand being hurt. Mm -hmm. I have resiliency. I can recover. And then I can lean into helping someone else. What happened after I stopped running away from my own life was I was overwhelmed by pain. And here I am. What is a bodhisattva? Oh, somebody who helps others. My understanding, <laughs> yeah, my understanding is that it's someone first and foremost, the first step is to 
actively choose to not yeah. escape samsara. Yeah. To actively choose to stay in the endless cycle of pain and suffering. And to be a bridge for others to escape. But the first active choice is to stay. Is to stay right here, right now, with it, regardless of the fact that you can take a magic mushroom and all of a sudden attain enlightenment and be a Buddha. I'm joking. And yet, countless bodhisattvas exist in the world and have existed for millennia. So our listeners don't know you, but you having stayed, what I've witnessed of Jerry is somebody who's brilliant. <laughs> I fooled you. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Hmm. Brave as fuck. Mm. And saying shit that needs to be said that nobody else is saying, at the very least in the boardrooms of America or in the ears of the leaders mm. of American business, at the very least. What are you doing? What's going on? Do Why mean? is nobody else saying what you're saying? <laughs> and mm. what, what are you doing? Um, I think more and more people are saying similar things. I don't think I'm a lone voice crying in the wilderness as much as my ego might like to see myself as that. Um, and it would, it really relishes. Like I dance when I think of myself as like this brave rebel. I stand on the shoulders of giants, teachers who have come before me, who showed me the way. Um, I think that there is something, there is something mildly unique, if you can have uniqueness and gradations around what I'm trying to do, which is to live in this intersection of space between, say, hard edge business, strong back of the warrior, open heart, those two stances. Um, and what comes, so you asked, what are you doing? Um, and what came into mind was uh, an experience I had with Pema Chodron, uh, who I, I consider one of my root teachers. Um, one of those giants who saved my life. And uh, one time I went to see Pema, I was having tea with her, and I was uh, being recruited to join the board of uh, a Buddhist organization. And my ego was so fucking out of control. It was, it was delightfully out of control. It was playing this funny game of, of, I enjoyed being recruited, but I enjoyed better being humble and not wanting to take a seat on that board. Huh. And I enjoyed even the other level of delusion, which was, and none of that was actually happening for me. Right? So there's sort of three layers of delusion that were going on. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the invitation and the solicitation. I enjoyed being humble and saying, oh, no, not me. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Pema Chodron with a, um, a humble ego aggrandizing question. And it went like this. Oh, dear Ani Pema. 
I'm just a humble Buddhist. I'm just, I just want to be a student and sit in the back of the room. What should I do about this call to being in the leadership position? And being a, being, being a brilliant teacher, she just cut through my bullshit. And she went, what are you doing? What, what, are you, what, what is this thing that's going on here? And she just named it. She just like, like dissected it. And then I, 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 in that moment, I felt overwhelmed by being presented with the way my ego was working. Um, and implicit in that whole thing was an experience that I've had many, many years, decades. And then she gave me the advice that I was really seeking. Mm -hmm. And she said, why are you fighting your karma? Huh. That is not a path to happiness. Your karma is this intersection between these, th these worlds. You have to lean into your karma. And so my, my challenge that I walked away with is, can I take my seat as a leader, as a strong back, wise, capable of building a good container organizationally from a leadership development position without giving in to the ego of believing that that actually makes me superior in some capacity? Can I do that? That's the challenge. That's my unique karma. And by the way, can I bring forward the reality of constant cutting through the ego aggrandizement that is a natural part of my being human, being in this particular incarnation, this particular meatbag? So that's my work. And if I can do that work with bravery, with vulnerability, with the reality, with the capacity to be hurt, right? By my saying this, somebody listening to this podcast can say, oh yeah, look at you, you're being ego-aggrandizing even by telling us the story. Look at you with your friend. Yeah, totally. And if by doing that, I can create space in a container for me to live in a way that is closer to my vows, then my ego tells me, and I have to be careful here, that maybe it makes it easier for you. Me specifically? Yeah, you specifically. Because if I get to do that, then you, with whom I am in relationship, right, get to do that. Because we are codependent or in, independent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Codependent was the wrong term. <laughs> or maybe we are. <laughs> <laughs> but we are interdependent. We are connected. Right? I work towards the, the alleviation of suffering of all beings, myself included. Because that ego aggrandizing trap that I brought to Anipema. Mm -hmm. It's just as devastating to me as it was to everybody else around me. Mm -hmm. right? It had a different dress associated with it, but it was the same experience that led me to want to kill myself when I was 38 at the height of my financial success. Right? Here I was, super successful and yet hollow and empty inside. 
let's pause for a minute and fill our listeners in on that on that mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. They don't know you, and they don't know the guy I know who's, um, well, doing something incredibly unique. I just see somebody doing something incredibly unique, and we'll get back to that. But where you came from, well, you came from Brooklyn. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> you got a problem with that? You want to step outside? And if you don't like cursing, well, fuck you. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but you had a pretty stellar career going there in the business world in New York. I guess. I mean, you were celebrated in magazines, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. You were kind of a big deal. Yeah. And you built an incredible reputation and network in the city. And it was at that point that you were miserable. At the peak? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, I think what had happened was I, I like a lot of folks, um, and, and as I still struggle with, outsource my sense of self esteem to mm. external metrics of accomplishment. And, um, and so, um, with that externalization of sense of my Buddha nature, Right, the, the 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 sort of disconnect from my fundamental basic goodness, um, an attachment of that to attainment of particular goals. I ended up in this um, god awful cycle of just feeling absolute craving, feeling uh, just uh, you know a kind of hungry ghost never able to be satisfied um and 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 that and a a voice that has characterologically been a part of me since childhood which whispered in my ear that you're just never good enough you're just you're you're never good enough to be loved you're never good enough to be lovable You're, you're there's nothing you can do that voice just got stronger and stronger and that the, actually the consequence of that was that the more externalized success that I had, the louder that voice became to the point where I felt there was no exit from that voice except to kill myself. I mean, I just hear the image I get as a feedback loop. Yeah. Until it's deafening for you. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and, um, Every single means that you one is um, socialized to assume will push away that form of suffering failed. Mm. Right. Um, um, and I think I, my karma was such that I, th- that I had the good fortune to be able to, at some point recognize the um, hamster wheel that I was stuck on. And I was just never going to make progress out of that, out of that particular form of suffering. And um, fortunately, I had a good therapist at the time who was able to shake me from that cycle. And uh, it was in that moment that I was able to really open myself to um, teachings that said, you know, you don't have to live like this. Yeah. 
you can get off the hamster wheel. I just want to pause for a minute and just acknowledge, Jerry, that business leaders don't have this conversation, mm -hmm. right? So when I say you're brave, I mean this alone. This is unusual to be talking about a therapist and depression, mm -hmm. or depression. Mm -hmm. That's and and the, and the ways I mean, let's add to it, and the ways in which our capitalist structure, um, not only crushes and oppresses people, um, people who with marginalized identities, but even those of us who have won the, you know, Warren Buffett calls it the genetic lottery of white male privilege, um, are crushed into something that is unrecognizable and in effect, unreal and inhuman. Inhuman. And then we wonder why we live in an inhumane world. Then we wonder why businesses are a force for mendacity and inhumanity. And, and we wonder why um, these economic forces rape and pillage the planet and further crush uh, marginalized people. I think it's a, I think, uh, it's heartbreakingly obvious why. It's because we do not allow human beings to be real, to cry when their heart breaks, to laugh when they are filled with joy, to rage at injustice. You know, our mutual friend Parker Palmer says, violence is what we do when we don't know what to do with our suffering. When we socialize human beings to be violent to self, violent to each other, and violent to the planet. All because we are afraid of suffering. One of the things I've been trying to figure out in this podcast, I talked to Ed Catmull, I talked to Sharon Salzberg, I'm talking to you. I'm trying to get more and more direct and clear about the question. But why is that violence profitable? And what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do? Is it possible to create a company that has a different set of principles and values and not get crushed? What is, the, what is the first noble truth? There is suffering. So are you asking me, is it possible to live without suffering? I, am I? I don't know. Here's what I think I'm asking. And feel free to, you know, Jedi me out of this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm trying to figure out if there's any way out of this cycle of business and that's focused so much on profit, on growth, on stock price, and so little on impact, on culture and, and human growth and abundance. So maybe, maybe um, and I'll, I'll answer more directly in a second, but maybe this is what Ani Pema meant when she said, live into your karma. Because to me, the answer to your question is fairly obvious. 
the Eightfold Path. When the Buddha taught the Eightfold Path, he wasn't saying, except for business. He wasn't saying, except in politics. Maybe not all of my listeners have pitched investors, but Mm -hmm. you've been an investor. You've heard many pitches. I can't go in there and talk about the Eightfold Path. So? (laughs) That's not what anybody's interested in. So? I'm playing with you because I... I get it. I'm I'm up for the game. Well, because I I think what's happened, Tariq, is that you you are in danger of inadvertently concretizing and reifying Mm -hmm. a negative view, which is that... um, Living the humane life is in opposition to business. And I get that every message that you hear, every piece of evidence supports that point of view. I get that. And I'm not arguing that you're, you're not receiving those messages, that time and time again we are encountering ways in which people who struggle to rise above that are slapped down, crushed. I get that. That to me is an expression of the first noble truth. We try relentlessly, nevertheless, because here's, here's my personal answer to that. Because your implicit question, I think, is, is it possible to live worthily? Is it possible to, to pursue work in a way that doesn't destroy these aspects of us? Is it possible to create businesses and to lead businesses and to lead societies in a way that, that do not promulgate the violence and oppression? Is that right? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, it's getting close. I mean, okay. I, think, I think the world needs that. Well, here's, the, here's my response. I don't want to live in a world where it isn't possible. So I'm going to presume it's possible and work my damn tail off to make that real. Yeah. Knowing full well that I will suffer from the fact that it will not come to pass. That's brave, I think. You know, again, our mutual friend Parker Palmer has this gorgeous concept called the tragic gap. And the gap is between the world that we know is possible and the world that is. So is it possible to build humane, life-affirming, life-nourishing organizations and businesses? Yes, it's possible. Is it probable? Mm, I don't know about that. But we are called to live in the space between those two places. Because if I give in to the corrosive cynicism, as he calls it, of presuming it's not possible, then I'm part of the problem. And if I fail to recognize that it's fucking hard, then I'm irrelevant in my idealism. And I must stand like a warrior in the space in between. And until I encountered the Dharma, I did not know that there was a path to do that. Because we can, we're sitting here talking about businesses, but, but couldn't we apply this to politics? It, it, see, if we remove the discussion about business from the realm, from the earthly realm, the human realm, then we actually unintentionally 
reify that belief system that yeah, that, that that's all well and good mm-hmm. when you're at home. But when we get into the business world, well, I guess I would put it a little differently, which is the business world finds its way to the door <laughs> of mm. you know every new frontier. Mm. And what happens in that place when they meet mm. is not always pretty, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering after hundreds or thousands of years of this, if there are new ways for us to organize, mm. you know? Uh, probably. And be careful of presuming that just changing the organizational structures are somehow going to uh, change human um, tendency. And yeah. our human, yeah, our human tendency, our behavior is rooted in avoidance of suffering. And as long as we act in that way, in that um, uh, way in which as sea slugs, we were, you know, we, we evolved to just avoid pain and move towards things that, that felt nourishing. Our basic biology here, as long as we're, we allow ourselves to be organized by that principle, we extend suffering. And so, sure, you know, do you want to adopt a holacracy in an organizational structure whereby, the, you know, we, we break down command and control hierarchical structures and we, sure, go ahead. Are you telling me that you're going to somehow, by doing so, not have a kind of um, negative projection of shadowed qualities, the, the negative aspects of human behavior showing up in power structures? Good luck with that. Right? We are always going to be called to confront the demons that lie at the heart of our human experience. That is our karma. So the role of a leader in an organization who's growing, trying to grow, how candid can you be about this stuff? First and foremost, confront your own demons to yourself. You know, we have a phrase at Reboot that I coined years ago called radical self-inquiry. And the great question of that is, how am I complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? Do you have the guts to look in the mirror and call yourself on your own bullshit? Not look around the organization and and figure out everybody else's problems. But look at yourself. The call within, not to induce guilt, but to induce a kind of cutting through that sort of progeny. What am I really up to here? What is happening? First and foremost, take that stance. Then, with open heart, with compassion, with loving kindness, look to your colleagues and say, and what are we doing collectively? What are the ways in which we are suppressing voices? What are the ways in which we are collectively not hearing what is being said by the world? And what do we choose to do in response to that? What are the ways in which we disown our responsibility to choose? If you can lead from that place, or even attempt to lead from that place, for me, 
life is easier. It's less painful. It's not easy. It's hard, but it's less painful. I don't want to be complicit in wiping myself out and denying my existence as a whole, broken-hearted, messy human being. And I want to create spaces for the people around me to be able to be themselves in exactly the same way. That feels wise to me. And I could be deluding myself. <laughs> Do you doubt that? Is that why you say that? I occasionally doubt it, yeah. Mm -hmm. When I see friends and people, or even myself, when I struggle, or when I note the ways in which I don't live up to my own aspirations. Um, I try every day to love <clears throat> what I call that crow who sits on my shoulder telling me what a shit I am. I try to love it so that it, it can give up that particular line and maybe transform itself into a little bit more of a gentle, lovingly kind aspect of me that says, and yet you were born human and only humans can attain enlightenment. And so therefore, I am worthy. I'm going to pause and I'm just going to say, you don't have to answer this. We don't have to talk about this. But I'm curious if childhood trauma has played a part in your depression. Hmm. Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that. <clears throat> of course. I grew up with uh, enormous psychic and physical violence as a child. Um, it created in me a hypervigilance, an almost hair trigger, um, which is the sort of darker side of my capacity to radically inquire within. Yeah. What are you really up to, Tariq? Right? That's me protecting myself from what might be a stiletto knife buried deep within what on the surface feels like a kind gesture. That is an aspect of my personality. Because you were betrayed at the most, by the most important or intimate folks in your life. Because I was not kept as safe as I needed to be. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I hesitate to say the word betrayed because I acknowledge uh, their suffering. I have yet to encounter someone who 
um, consciously or not, foster suffering who themselves have not been uh, hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And the cycle goes on. Except some of us try to stop it. That's right. That's right. I mean, I know that there are true sociopaths in the world. Mm -hmm. I, I actually have never encountered one, not to my knowledge. Um, every single person. It's funny because you've worked with a lot of CEOs. I've <laughs> <laughs> a lot of narcissists, but that's a different issue. Um, every single person that I can sort of name who I think, um, in my view, fosters suffering with a little bit of a generosity, you can see their suffering. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we, we allow the violent behavior. Um, it's still wrong, but I can understand it. I can oppose it, but in opposing it, I don't have to oppose it with, uh, with the same level of violence. Um, and I can trust that the moral arc of the universe bends slowly, but it bends inevitably towards justice. I actually believe that. Every single wisdom tradition I have ever encountered, every single one of them teaches that. The moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. It's just imperceptible at times. <laughs> because you know, we were talking before the recording began, Sharon shared with you this notion of the time frame. Yes, the time frame. You know, if we, if we think about things only through the lens of this particular incarnation, this particular meat bag, you may not encounter justice. You may not encounter humanity in our organizational structures. You may not encounter the humane business, but I believe that that arc is long and bends towards justice. Yeah. I actually think it's more possible, too, in the business sense, to make this more mundane. Um, hmm. We live in this sort of echo chamber of, of propaganda about how things are supposed to work. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. sure. uh, so you can have a company like, say, a Patagonia that doesn't go public and doesn't take venture capital and really, I think, has, you know, a net positive impact on its employees and hopefully on the planet, or at least tries to. Um, doesn't get written about as a success story. It gets sort of dismissed. And we're told in the startup world, like, there's one way you got to do this, kid. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's not one of the ways, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Um, so we sort of celebrate a particular, gosh, I wish I could phrase this more eloquently, but we celebrate a particular style of um, living and doing business 
And I don't know that that's the only way. I just don't think we get a lot of messages about other ways of doing it. Well, of course, uh, we celebrate uh, that because what we're doing, you see, collectively, I think what we're doing is we're projecting onto um, those businesses that seem to personify um, the pursuit of financial success and self-optimization. We project onto them our fundamental wish to not suffer. So, for example, we believe that um, by going public and cashing out and um, raising a bunch of capital, that we believe inherently, let's pick on Amazon for a moment. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Amazon as a consumer. Fan is a funny word. I'm a huge consumer of Amazon services. Let's put it that way. We project onto onto Amazon. You know, Jeff Bezos just briefly the other day was worth over a hundred billion dollars. So, at some level, we project onto him that he must then, therefore, be safe, warm, and happy forever. Yeah. Right. Right. And in that, what we're doing is we're concretizing the view that their path, the path that they chose, is the only path of a business. But Reboot, my company, our company, is a tiny little company. We're three years old. We, um, we all make a good living. We don't make an optimized living. We don't scrape up every coin that's possible and shove it into our pockets. We're hoping to create a platform where people can do meaningful work in the world and put their shoulder to the wheel of the work that's in front of us. And we, have, we laugh when people say, well, will you raise venture capital? God, no. Why? As long as we run a business that's profitable, and the reason for that is not to extract value, it's so that we can pay the light bill tomorrow. To be sustainable. To be sustainable, so that there is a tomorrow. So that when, when our, one of our employees goes, gets ill and the health insurance doesn't pay for it, we can give them a check, a bonus check that says, here, pay your medical expenses. So that we can create scholarships for services, so that we can create free services, so that we can promulgate the work. There are many, 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 many businesses that follow the model that I'm talking about you know the model I have in mind? My grandfather's ice business from Brooklyn. You know, he just, he just put a roof over the heads of his seven children. He just, he just employed, you know, dozens of people. And he delivered ice in the summer and coal in the winter. And as the joke was, and wine, homemade wine all year round. Okay. And he didn't go public. And he didn't die a multi-billionaire, $100 billion. He's a good man who provided. Hmm. And he provided a service. And he kept the milk cold and the homes warm. And he carried 300-pound sacks of coal on his back 
and blocks of ice on his shoulder. It's a very romantic picture you're painting here. Sounds like an amazing guy. He was a hard worker. Yeah. But I loved my grandfather. Yeah. And so there are these other models. Dominic Guido, my grandfather, is not going to be on the cover of Fortune magazine. Right? Uh, but is he any less of a businessman? Was he any less of a businessman than Jeff Bezos? Fuck you. You walk through the streets of Brooklyn, up and down stoops, carrying coal and ice with a sixth grade education. You tell me what, tell me about strength. Tell me about courage. Tell me what it, what it, what does it take to get on a ship and cross the ocean? Not sure what's going to happen in your life. Fuck you. And your false metrics of what does it mean to be a business person and an entrepreneur. So with time running out, I think what I'm getting, what came to me when you said this, so, so help me clarify this, correct me if I'm wrong. There's a goal to escape suffering that we all mm. share. <laughs> we all feel it. <laughs> um, and you could call that a desire for happiness or something, right? And there's perhaps a delusion in this country that we can measure happiness mm. with a single metric, dollars, mm -hmm. share price or whatever. Mm. And that once we can measure it, we can focus efficiently and relentlessly on increasing that number, therefore increasing our happiness and therefore escaping suffering, something mm. like that. Mm -hmm. And so Jeff Bezos is the least suffer. He's the most happy of all of us. Mm -hmm. so he, just, he just knocked Bill Gates out as the richest man in America. Right. Must be the happiest guy. Must be the happiest guy. And the Buddha's sitting there smiling with love, looking down on us and saying, oh, you poor suffering people. And, you know, we can delude ourselves and say, yeah, well, but I don't pursue that. I don't really think that. I don't believe that. I don't believe, really? No, I don't think it's possible to grow up in this country and not have a relationship with money that's been that we determine our value of ourselves and our happiness and our friends and family and look through that lens. I believe if you don't share that lens, but you can't say that it wasn't given to you or taught to you or mm -hmm. that it doesn't come up from time to time. I, 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 I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the thing that I would bring anyone's attention to is please find me the child who is born believing that about the world. Hmm. Right. It's like when the Buddha asked, you know, the, the follower to go to the houses of those who have never experienced suffering and loss and gather a mustard seed. And then they came back empty handed. It's like, the truth is that this is what we are taught which means that we can be untaught. Yeah. And I see that as Jerry. Oh. As I do. <laughs> Thank you. 
I do, though. That's what I'm trying to frame. Mm. That's the guy I see. Now you're going to make me cry. That's the plan. Well, that's the revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, if we do not, we as business people do not speak to this question, then we are lost. Because those who do not see themselves and identify as business people will not have the strength to overcome the mendacity of those forces. Right? And so those of us who are privileged enough to be considered a leader, and perhaps burdened enough to be considered a leader, I think have a moral obligation to speak. I want to thank you for asking me these questions. I will probably continue to ask them. (laughs) (laughs) Each time getting more and more precise, hopefully. (laughs) Someday finding the answers I'm looking for. I certainly feel I got some of them today. It was wonderful having you on. Well, it was a delight, my friend. And I'm proud of you for doing this podcast. It it feels like uh, it feels really connective. Especially since I, I put you through the ringer, uh, I guess about a year ago, maybe, maybe more. That was horrifying and awesome simultaneously. Uh-huh. It was. What happened at Northside, Jerry, was you put the microphone in my face and you said, how are things going? Mm-hmm. And there was a moment there. I didn't know you. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't know me. <laughs> and I had like 300 people or 500 people behind me in a room. And I said, well, I can bullshit him. Or I can tell him the truth. What do I think he wants to hear and what's going to be most beneficial right now? And I told you the truth, which was that my company was dying. And your antenna went up and you moved in closer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I saw suffering. Mm, Maybe that's your superpower. uh, Well, that's the hypervigilance I was speaking to you before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I share that one with you. Mm-hmm. That's compassion. Move towards suffering, not away from it. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all three seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galilee. Reboot Your Year is our invitation for you to pause and honor the transition into the new year. This simple yet powerful free five-day course 
will guide you through the annual transition with grace and open you to the promise and hope for the year ahead. The course unfolds through daily emails, each with a cone to consider and a guided journaling practice handcrafted by the Reboot team. Each practice takes less than 20 minutes to complete. We'll help you enjoy this course so much, you'll make it part of your annual practice and even share it with teammates and colleagues. Learn how to reboot your 2018 at RebootYourYear.com.